You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. We should never, ever get tired of trying to put down the flesh, to trying to rid ourselves of it, ever tire of it. Because the day you get tired of it, the day you compromise a little bit, that bad boy's gonna come roaring back, gonna come roaring back and it's gonna cause you all kinds of trouble. If Queen Esther didn't pursue this, if Queen Esther let some of these people who wanted to kill the Jews alive, guarantee they would have had their way and started coming back and killing more Jews. Queen Esther knew better. We can't give up the fight against our flesh. As soon as we make the choice to let sin go unchecked, we guarantee a boatload of issues further down the line. As Pastor Dave concludes his message, he hopes you remember that you can't afford to let sin win in your life. God has greater things in store for you. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Esther chapter 9 as he continues his message, The Feast of Purim. Mordecai was great in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the providences. For this man, Mordecai, became increasingly prominent. Mordecai wore the signet ring of the king, remember? And he was basically second in command. He was the prime minister, and he was feared. They feared him. All the king's horses and all the king's men feared Mordecai. So they helped him. They helped him defeat these people who were coming after the Jews. And I love this. Most of you... Know who J. Vernon McGee is, don't you? I love J. Vernon. I love him. He has a great quote. He said, the very throne that once condemned the Jews now protects them. I love that. And that's what God does. <laughs> that's what God does. He turns things around for his glory. He makes things happen for his purpose. I love that. Just like the Lord. Paul said that in Romans 8, 33 and 35. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is it God who justifies? Who is he who condemns? Is it Christ died? Furthermore, is also risen? So even in the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Obviously, no. It's a rhetorical question. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. At one time, at one time, the very throne of God stood against you and me. Yeah. Why? Because we were sinners. We're sinners still. He had, we have been judged and we have been condemned because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. And God judged us and he was against us. But now, the throne is occupied by someone else. The throne is occupied by God, who appeased God's standard for righteousness. He was propitiation for our sins. He stood in our place and died in our place, and he obeyed the law completely. The throne is occupied by the one who took our sins upon himself and died in our place and appeased his death on the cross. And he becomes our high priest in Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, but yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might attain mercy and find grace in time of need. I love that. Our glorious high priest, Jesus Christ, passed into heaven for me, for you. And he's making intercession for us right now. Intercession. But he's sympathetic. Because he walked as a man, he was tempted just like you and me. He was tempted in every single way, but he sinned not. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my frailty. So he empathizes with me. We have a glorious high priest so we can boldly come to the throne of grace in time of need, in time of help. And we boldly come. Dare you come on your own accord? No way. Dare you come on your own merit? No way. You can't come on anything except the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only way you can come in. But once you've been sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ, once that has been poured out upon you, you can boldly come and ask what you need in your time of need for help. Don't dare go on my own. No, I can't. I can't. But through God, through him, I can. A lot of people don't believe this kind of stuff. A lot of people think it's hokey. They think it's just a fairy tale, and they'll tell you, well, I'm going to take my chances on my own. You know, any Jew that was living in Persian kingdom at that time could have taken the same approach to the grace that was being issued by God. This is all part of God's grace. It's all part of God's grace that has been extended to his people, the Jews. But because the first decree gave them no defense, it means death. But he had to take advantage of the second decree. You know, when I was studying this and I was looking at that, it reminded me of one of my favorite verses. I know they're all my favorite, but it reminded me of my favorite. And I love, I do like these verses. And my boy, John. I love John. I love John. God was displeased with the Israelites once again. And he sent serpents to kill them. And when they were bit by these snakes, they died. It's in the book of Numbers. They died. Moses interceded for the people. And he told them, and he told Moses to make a serpent out of bronze and put it on a pole, and put it in front of the camp. And if one of the people were bitten, if they looked to the pole, they would be healed. If they did not look to the pole, they would die. So they had a choice. They had a choice. Someone bitten by a snake says, I'm not looking at any pole. Okay. Someone bitten by the snake looks at the pole, becomes healed. Jesus took this very thing and applied it to himself. He applies it to himself. Listen to this in verse 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you know what the next verse is? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's the same concept here. We have a choice. A choice is given to us. So the denial of Jesus Christ will result in spiritual death. Separation God forever. Those who want to take their chances, those who think they have a chance to take, go ahead and take it at your own peril. But God has given us a way out. He's given us a way back from death. He's given us a way to eternal life through Jesus' cross and what he did for us on the cross. 
So we see this happening. The Jews now are taking advantage, those who believed it, are taking advantage of this new decree, and they're coming against those people who are coming against them. Let's look at 5 to 11. I digress. Thus the Jews defeated all their enemies with the stroke of a sword, with slaughter and destruction, and did what they pleased with those who hated them. And in Shushan, the citadel, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. Also, Parashan Adatha, Dalphon, Asadatha, Poratha, poor guys, Adaliah, Aradatha, Parmesan, Esiri, Aradel, and that place. The ten sons of Haman, the sons of Hamanathatha, jeez, and the enemy of the Jews. And I went over these words too, trust me. I went over each one of those things. The enemy of the Jews they killed, but they did not lay hand on the plunder. I like that. On that day, the number of those who were killed in Shushan, the citadel, was brought to the king. So we have this going on. They're defending themselves. They're vanquishing their enemies. They're getting rid of their enemies. It's interesting that although they had been permission to take the spoils, they did not. They didn't take the spoils. I find that interesting. I find that interesting. Years before the Lord told King Saul in 1 Samuel 15, thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing old, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. In these verses, the list of first, those from 79, they're all descendants of Amalek. Why? Because Saul didn't do what God told him to do. Saul did not accomplish the thing that God had told him to do. And so this comes back now to haunt the Israelites. It's haunting the Israelites. Saul didn't utterly destroy them. So as God's people found themselves having to deal with Amalek over again. This time they learned the lesson. They didn't take the spoil. They didn't want any part of Amalek. They didn't want no part of it. They didn't want to repeat Saul's mistake. They only wanted to protect themselves. That's all they were trying to do. Amalek and his descendants represent the world, gang, and all that opposes the Lord. We need to put to death the world in our lives. We need to put it to death. Paul says, have no confidence in the flesh, to reckon the old man dead, to put the flesh to death. We need to get rid of the flesh and all that is in the world. Because that's our Amalek. They're the ones that are coming against us. And when we don't do that, it always rears its ugly head and comes after us. And we always have a hard time with it. We always have a difficult time with it. We need to take and get rid of it before it raises its ugly head over and over and over and over. We need to get rid of it, reckon it dead, and move forward. As we come to 12 and 14, it says... And the king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in Chushan, the citadel, and 10 sons of Haman. What have they done in the rest of the king's providences? Now what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. Or what is your further request? It shall be done. Then Esther said, if it pleases the king, let it be granted to the Jews who are in Shushan to do it again tomorrow, according to the day's decree, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. The decree was issued in Shushan, and they hanged the man's ten sons. 
Remember, they'd already been killed them, but they put them on those gallows and let them sit there. It was customary back then to, to display your dead. It was customary back then. If you remember, when Saul and Jonathan were killed, they were hung for a long, long time. One of the things that they did. One of the things that they did. The overpowering of their enemies was such a great success that Queen Esther said, you know, we need another day to do this. There's still some enemies out there. Folks, we should never, ever, 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 ever get tired of trying to kill the old man. We should never, ever get tired of trying to put down the flesh, to trying to rid ourselves of it, ever tire of it. Because the day you get tired of it, the day you compromise a little bit, that bad boy's going to come roaring back, going to come roaring back, and it's going to cause you all kinds of trouble. If Queen Esther didn't, Pursue this? If Queen Esther let some of these people who wanted to kill the Jews alive, guarantee they would have had their way and started coming back and killing more Jews. But Queen Esther knew better. She knew that she had to get rid of them all, just like that. Remember I said the type of the flesh is the type of the world? we got to get rid of anything in the world that's holding us down. Anything in the world that's keeping us back from serving God, that's keeping us back from being what God wants us to be. We need to get rid of it. Jettison it. Go by. The king said, yeah, sounds like a good idea. Go for it. Go for it. Let's look at 15 through 19. And the Jews who were in Shushan gathered together again on the 14th day of the month of Adar and killed 300 men at Shushan. But they did not lay hand on the plunder. The remainder of the Jews in the king's providences gathered together and protected their lives, had rest from their enemies, and killed 75,000 of their enemies. But they did not lay hand on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar. And on the 14th of the month, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day, as well as on the 14th and on the 15th of the month, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who dwelt in the unwalled towns celebrated the 14th day of the month of Adar with gladness and feasting as a holiday for the sending presents to one another. And thus comes the beginning of the Feast of Purim. This is the beginning of the Feast of Purim. As most holidays start from a great victory. There was a great victory over the enemies of God. A great victory over the enemies of the Jew. So they celebrated. They had a big feast and they started celebrating. Let's look at the 20 to 27. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in all the providences of King Ahasuerus to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as days on which the Jews had rest from the enemies as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them and from mourning to a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and joy, sending presents one to another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun as Mordecai had written to them because Haman, the son of Hamanatha, the Agaite, the enemy of all the Jews had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and had cast purr, that is the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return to his own head, and then he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. So they called these days Purim, named after Pur. Therefore, 
because of all the words of this letter that they had seen concerning this matter and what happened to them. The Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join them that without fail they should celebrate these two days every year according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time. So we have this happening here. They're remembering of what the Lord did to their enemies. The whole principle of Purim is to remember the Lord's deliverance. Do we do anything that might resemble that? Maybe we don't have a feast. Maybe we don't have a festival. But we do something that reminds us of the Lord's deliverance. Communion. Where we remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But that's what they're doing here. They're remembering what God had accomplished for them. They're remembering what God had done in their hearts. How he gave them victory over their enemies. Well, we too, when we celebrate communion, can celebrate victories over sin. We were victorious over the, the enemy, which was sin in our lives. It was sin that was keeping us from God. It was sin that was causing us to have death sentence upon us. But because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we have been freed from sin. We have been freed from the penalty of sin. And we now can walk freely in Christ Jesus as he's given us. This is what I see happening here. It's a beautiful thing. It was to be observed. How did they observe it? Well, it was a day of cheerfulness, a day of feasting and joy. And the feast was made for laughter. They had a lot of good times. When God gives a cause to rejoice, why should we not express our joy? This was a great time of feasting. It was a great time of joy. Their enemies had been defeated. I'm sure they had a lot of fun. It was a day of generosity. They were sending portions one to another in token of their pleasantness and mutual respect and of being knit together where one common dangers and deliverance they draws them closer to each other in love. Friends have their goods in common. It was a day of charity. They were sending gifts to the poor. They were giving gifts out to the poor. It's not that our kinsmen and rich neighbors only were sent tokens, but the poor and the maimed, it says in Luke 14. Those that have received mercy must, in a token of gratitude, show mercy. Those that have been forgiven must forgive. Those that have been hurt must forgive those who have hurt you. We have to move forward through Christ. There's a whole aura of thanksgiving about this entire time. An aura of thanksgiving of what God has done. And the crazy thing about it is, the word God was never mentioned in the entire book. If you remember, God was never mentioned in the entire book. But his hand, as I said earlier, his hand was upon everything. Thanksgiving and giving of presents, the giving to the poor, sharing one to another, is rejoicing and blessing God. The heart is filled up with love and we want to give away. That's what happens. When you spend time with the Lord and you spend time in his love and you, you read the word and, and you spend time in fellowship, your heart becomes a big flow or flow with love and you want to do something. You want to help your neighbor. You want to help the poor. You want to help those who are struggling. You, you want to do those kind of things. It comes naturally by the Holy Spirit. It becomes a beautiful thing. Today, the Feast of Purim is celebrated by the Orthodox Jews in synagogues and they play games, they have costumes and they have a great big feast. As it concluded, the book of Esther is read during this feast. I told you, the book of Esther is read during the feast, and when Haman's name is mentioned, they all shout and spit. I certainly hope they have away from the food when they do that, but they all shout his name and spit. They all shout. They pronounce a curse upon Haman. The next day, they all come together again for feasting 
and gladness. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. Let's finish out the chapter. That these days should be remembered and kept thoughtfully throughout every generation, every family, every providence, every city, that these days of Purim should not fail to be observed among the Jews and that the memory of them should not perish among the descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, with Mordecai, the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter about Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews, to the 127 providences of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, with words of peace and truth, to confirm these days of Purim and the appointed time, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them, and as they had decreed from themselves and their descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting. So the decree of Esther confirmed the matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. This feast now is written. This year, that feast is celebrated in the middle of March. Like about the 13th, 14th, or 15th of March is when this feast is celebrated this year by the Jews. So let's finish out the book in verse chapter 10. It says, And King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and on the islands of the sea. Now all the acts of his power and his might and the account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of the Medes and Media, Media and Persia? And Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all of his countrymen. Seeking peace. Seeking peace. Mordecai was revered. Mordecai was revered. But remember, he's a mere man. He's a mere man. They had succeeded. The task that was at hand was completed. But there's another one greater than Mordecai ever. And he also completed his task when he went to the cross and hung there and died in our place. When he went there, he did the will of the Father. He was obedient to God, even being obedient to death on the cross. He was obedient to God, and he went there so that God could show his love to the world by his dear son hanging on a cross. And now he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he is a billion times more powerful than Mordecai ever was. Unlike Mordecai, Jesus was not great among the Jews. He wasn't received by his countrymen, where they revere Mordecai, but they rejected Jesus Christ. But they'll be dealt with. We know that for a fact. They'll be dealt with. Jesus was seeking only the good for his people, only the good for his countrymen, for he came to seek that and save which was lost. He came for the poor and the tribes of Israel. He came for them. But because of their hard hearts, because of their stiff neck, because they refused to accept Jesus Christ, the Gentiles were allowed to come in. Praise God. Praise God the Gentiles were allowed to come in. It's a beautiful, beautiful story of redemption. Beautiful story of God, providential hand, leaning around and accomplishing incredible things. You are assured.
What do you do when God works miracles in your life? I'll tell you what the Jews did when God used Esther to save them from Haman's evil plot. They feasted. Esther 9, 20 through 22 says, And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month Adar and also the 15th day of the same, year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. How do you celebrate and remember the miracles of God in your life? I hope it's with feasting and celebration. It is through remembering God's work that we hold on to faith in the hard times. You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave is making his way through the book of Esther, a story of God's miraculous salvation of his people, a story to be celebrated and remembered in the dark times. A Sure Hope is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Do you live in the area? We'd love to see you. Head over to assurehoperadio.com right now to find our location and service times. Once again, that's assurehoperadio.com. We'll be looking for you this weekend. And with that, we've come to the end of our time. Please come back next time as Pastor Dave continues through the book of Esther on Assure Hope. You've rescued us.